This is The Exchange, humanizing commerce through post-purchase connection. Welcome to The Exchange, everyone, where we talk all things customer experience, customer retention, and especially post-purchase. As always, you have myself, Alex McEachern, and Tim Buza, and today we have a guest joining us. And normally we are talking to marketers about post-purchase, but today I'm excited because we're talking to an operations expert who's coming up on 15 years of experience in the field. And I'm thrilled to welcome Amari White, Director of Operations at Nisolo, to the show today because I think he has some very interesting views on operations that's very different from how I and probably a lot of you think about the field of operations and logistics. So welcome to the show, Amari. Hey, Alex. Thank you. Excited to be here. So I think the best place to kick us off here is last time when you and I were talking, you talked a bit about what you do as facilitating factory to foot. Do you want to give our listeners an understanding of what that means and maybe by extension, what Nisolo is up to? Definitely. So um, in my role, what that looks like is from the time our f- products leave our factory until it arrives on your foot, uh, the team that I lead uh, facilitates that process. And so Nisolo, we are a B Corp climate neutral certified brand. And so our goal is to push the fashion industry in a more sustainable direction. And the way we go about doing that is twofold. One, we want to make sure that all of the producers within our supply chain receive a living wage, which is not a minimum wage. It's something that they can actually live on. And number two is that uh, since 2018, we've been offsetting 100% of our carbon emissions throughout our entire supply chain. So by- Wow, that's awesome. Thanks. By doing both those things, we we feel like we can really change the impact that the fashion industry has on our whole planet. It was that something that you guys had set, like when when the company was founded. Was that something that was sort of core to what you wanted to build, or is that something that you have implemented once you sort of took over the operations side of the business? No, that's really been um, core to our mission. Um, the it actually the what we sell or what we produce came second, but we knew we wanted to change the fashion industry. Um, It's the largest producer. And I mean, there's over a billion people that are in the fashion industry that are not receiving a living wage. And so there've been things that we've implementing um, since I've been with the company, like the climate neutral offset setting that we've done over the last couple of years. But um, that's, the living wages and the impact on the planet have always been critical to our, our mission. That's, that's, that's super interesting. And it's, it's definitely a way like that's something that consumers are consumers uh, attach themselves to causes and brands as much as they do to products. So that that's, I'm sure that's something that is, is attracting the type of customer that you guys are interested in. Uh, And, you know, a question that I had for you as, so as the operations leader, um, in addition to all the things you just talked about, what are the biggest changes that you see happening in the industry right now? And maybe another way to ask that is, you know, as the operations leader, what keeps you up at night? Man. Well, other than COVID um, and how do we uh, keep our our team members safe? Um, so we, we own and operate a factory uh, in Peru. We also have team members here in the United States trying to figure out how do we keep them safe and healthy? And also, how do we protect our supply chain and make sure that we're still able to get product? Outside of those two things, the the major thing is the impact that 
COVID has on like the advancement of technology. There's so much noise and there's so much competition in the online space right now compared to, I, I would say, six months ago, 10 years ago. It's getting so noisy and competitive right now and trying to figure out how do we stand out from the crowd. And to what you just said is people aren't just buying a product. They're also buying an experience. They're also buying for causes. They're voting with their dollars. And so how do we support that and how do we impact change? that way. I love that voting with their dollars. That's a really, that's a really good way of looking at it. Definitely. One thing that I think is really interesting is like when I think about customer experience, where my head immediately goes to is like website experience or like the experiences that are being created by marketing. And from our last conversation, I think you have a really interesting view on where operations actually plays into the customer experience. So for the people listening, where do you see the opportunities to build an amazing customer experience through operations where people can vote with their dollars? To even start off, I think we need to define what customer experience is and what customer support is. Because I think uh, it's a lot of people like using customer experience. It's the new word. It's fancy. But what they're really doing is just customer support. Um, customer support is how do we figure out how do we support a customer when they have a problem versus customer experience being how do we walk with the customer throughout the whole buying cycle um, and the, the fulfillment cycle and the, the I have a question and returns process and then back through the buying cycle again. Um, the way that I kind of look at it is like trains and roller coasters, like you have a train that's going to come through. You have several stops people can get on and they have a question about their uh, returns and then they leave you and go back. Um, and I see customer experience being more of like a roller coaster. We're going to lock you in. We're going to be with you for this crazy ride all the way through. Um, and we're going to, to, to help guide that experience for you. And so um, with that, I think kind of to what you said, just building it with the processes and thinking, okay, when the customer comes to our site, what does that look like? When they get ready to check out, like, are we communicating what our fulfillment processes are, our processing days? How long is it going to take for them to have their order shipped? Are we saying that on the front end or are we waiting for the customer to reach out to us and say, hey, where's my order? Does that make sense? No, it makes a ton of sense. And I love the train versus roller coaster analogy there. And you're absolutely right. Defining customer experience versus customer support is huge. And I guess a, a follow-up question to that is when you're talking about like the fulfillment, like how long is this going to take? Like, what do you see as kind of the most common question that people are asking that people can maybe move like pre-purchase to let them know a little bit more about what's going to happen post-purchase? I honestly don't even think it's it's not from a fulfillment standpoint. It's from a return standpoint. Um, that's one of the the one if if we look at our data to our like FAQ page, that's where people go most often. And so just making sure that the information for your returns policy is not hidden away in a corner of your website somewhere. Like um, I think co companies feel like returns have a negative impact on their, their business. And so they try to think like, if we hide it, customers won't ask about it or, or want to do a return. But I think being upfront with them, proactively communicating and, and making it easy for them is how you make that, 
that be an experience and not just how do we solve a problem for a customer. And we're totally going to agree with you there. Um, what do you think on, on like, 100% agree, don't bury your returns page for everyone that's listening. People are going to check it. I think there's a stat out there that 67% of people are going to check your return policy before they make a purchase. Omari, what do you see as like what people are looking for there? Like what's some of the most important information to make sure is present on that returns page for them to see? Yeah, so how do I initiate a return? That's number one. And years ago, before um, we went out and and partnered with you guys, we were doing it manually. And so they were having to reach out to a customer experience representative to initiate that return. It could take uh, a couple hours for a response. If it's over the weekend, it could take days. And so that's just like not making it easy on the, the, the customer. And so having the initiation information there and also how many days is it going to take for them to get their refund back on their credit card? There's a number of things, but just having it all laid out. I mean, as you interact with your customers, you're going to learn what questions they ask. And so just provide it to them proactively. One of the things that we we talk about a lot at Loop and that, you know, it's not just us talking about it into a vacuum, it's it's talking to folks like you who sort of confirm a lot of this is that showing your returns policy upfront during the buying process allows people to shop with confidence. It allows people to understand like, hey, like, you know, footwear and apparel, but like footwear specifically, it's, it's hard to know if you're going to fit in a shoe that you've never bought before. So giving people the confidence to understand like, yeah, you might need to buy two pairs uh, to figure out which the right one is and then send the first one back. Or you know, you're just gonna you're gonna go on a whim and say, I'm a nine and a half, but I think I might be a nine. So I'm just gonna buy that. But it looks like with New Solo, it's just gonna be really easy for me to return and exchange to get the right size. So we couldn't agree more that putting the returns and exchanges policy in the forefront gives shoppers confidence. Um, it, it's it's that's sort of the forward thinking way of doing it. And some of the stuff that you've talked about there and in past conversations have been around listening to your customers through data. And I'm curious if you can, you know, share some of the ways that you think about getting customer data throughout the customer experience to fine tune the process and make it make it even better. Yeah, one of the and I was actually just looking at this report yesterday, one of the reports that we really uh, helped us fine tune our operation is the reason why they initiated a return. And so um, when they go through the returns process, you know, it has the information. Was it, you know, a fit issue? Was it um, just the wrong color or was it just a color they didn't like? All of that we can look at and it allows us to be able to pinpoint, is it production issues? Like all of our size seven and a halves are being exchanged. Maybe it's something with the production run on that or we're having fulfillment issues or product development or just overall bad return or policies. And so having that data allows us to pinpoint where to lean into. Whereas prior to having this, this the, you guys as our partner, um, it was just, we weren't collecting the data. And so you're trying to fight all these fires and you don't re really know which fire is the greatest or which is going to uh, move the needle the most. And so sure. it's um, very helpful. That's really great. And um, for those listening in the show notes, I'll link an article we have on the return reasons that Omari's talking about and like how you can use those. But 
Omari, from your perspective, like you're talking about the return policy, using data, finding these insights to kind of fine tune the experience. Could you maybe elaborate on like how you work with the other teams across the company with all this insight that you're gaining and trying to make some of these changes? Yeah. So um, myself and um, Andrea, who heads our uh, CX team, we sit in, we have weekly meetings um, across the organization. And so that allows us to, when we're talking about rolling out new functionality or new promotions or sales, that we have everyone at the table um, and we're able to speak and, and be the voice of the customer. I would definitely say it's a journey. So like if you start it today, it's <laughs> you're not going to be perfect overnight, but I think it's important to just have everyone at the table and talk through what processes you're implementing or, or you're trying to improve just to understand how it might impact the customer before you roll it out. I think a lot of people do a good job of trying to fix the problem after the fact. So, okay, once we roll this out, we'll figure out how to train our, our, our CX team on how to fix their problem. But if we didn't have the problem upstream, we, we could avoid all of this. So when you're, when you're having those meetings, it's, I feel like this is one of those things that, you know, as, as other like practitioners like yourself who are listening to this episode are probably thinking like, that sounds amazing that you guys have these like weekly meetings where everyone is sitting around the table to stay aligned. And I'm just curious, like, can you maybe go a level deeper to talk about like, what do those meetings look and feel and sound like, like who runs the meeting? What is like, what does a typical agenda look like for something like that? This is what we call our weekly tactical meeting. Um, and so the I'm I am a big fan of stealing shamelessly. Um, <laughs> our agenda is really taken from um, Patrick Lencioni. Um, he has a book called Death by Meeting, and the agenda that we use is we start every meeting with kind of like a round robin of rather than a pre-described agenda of we're going to talk about these things every week. Let's talk about what are the fires or the most important items in everyone's verticals first. And then we can talk through, okay, now that we've heard everyone, we can say, okay, we really need to address this problem or this problem can wait. Um, and that allows everyone at the table to like, just lay all the cards on the table. And then we as a team can address it as a group, as opposed to saying that that's just a marketing problem or that's just a product product problem. You guys go out and fix it. We can figure out how we can all come together and address that. And then after that, we go through our KPIs, our metrics, um, and, and talk through which ones are, are on track or which ones are, are missing and how do we lean into that. Um, it's very helpful in doing it that way because you have everyone at the table. We get really great ideas by going about that. Like, for instance, you know, um, AOV could be missing from our plan. And we say, all right, what, what can we do to address that? And people who are normally, you know, in CX or in operations bring up ideas that, you know, normal marketers wouldn't think about. It's always good to have like a diverse group of people in that conversation because if you're putting the customer at the center and it sounds like you guys obviously are it's it's important that everyone who has sort of a i don't know a 
if I'm using the analogy correctly, like anyone who is building the roller coaster and controlling what that ride looks, feels, and sounds like should be at the table. So having people who are on the front end on the marketing side there, having people who are on the operations side who deal with like fulfillment returns, customer support, CX, all that. Uh, it, it, I mean, it sounds like that's a super valuable meeting. I feel like we want to, we, 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 we won't go a level deeper on on this podcast but i feel like i want to hit you up afterwards and like almost write a blog post with you about how do you run an effective customer experience weekly meeting because i know our listeners would would same thing shamelessly stealing they would all be stealing that information from you so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna mark you down as, no, as definitely to that we're, we're gonna we're gonna put that together next let's make it happen <laughs> All right. Um, so speaking of you, you talked about AOV as a as an example or KPIs. So, so if if we zoom out for a minute and and we step away from that meeting, but go back into your world around operations, what are what are the most important metrics that operations leaders like yourself should be looking at week in and week out? And maybe a follow up to that is like, is there one specific that helps uh, one specific metric that helps you evaluate? the effectiveness of the customer experience that you guys are creating? Yeah, I think uh, naturally people tend to lean towards just customer satisfaction rate um, as their end-all be-all. And I just like to caution people on that just because I think customers' expectations and behaviors are changing so quickly along with our like supply chains changing so quickly. If you just focus on one, you're going to miss out um satisfaction doesn't tell you um are we solving all of the problems or are we just solving the problems that we have created and so a couple other um kpis that we look at are like fresh reply time how quickly are we answering customers um because if you're not answering them quickly they're just going to stop talking to you and you're not getting a clear picture of <laughs> what uh issues you have Another one that we look at is contacts per transaction, which is basically so how many um, how many times are customers reaching out to us as a function of how many orders or transactions we're having, and that tells us okay. So for every ten orders we have, if we have customers reach out to us six times, well, we're not communicating well, or we're making it difficult on the customer to do this process or this transaction. If they're reaching out to us one time for every 10, well, then it seems like we're communicating well and let's still dive into that and figure out what's driving that one contact. Um, and then lastly, I think uh, return rate, and, and you guys touched on this uh, in another podcast, but return rate not equaling refund but return rate being exchanges, store credits, um, those other things, because that can tell you a lot about your product. It, it could tell you if the fit is right for, for us in footwear, or if it's store credit, it could tell you that, okay, maybe they might not like this product, but they like another product better. And so how do we push that product before we have them in the wrong product? Yeah. And one, I love that you picked that up. A return does not equal a refund. And we're going to scream that from the <laughs> rooftops as much as we possibly can. Um, so when you're talking about that return rate and like breaking it down, like how do you evaluate the effectiveness of your return policy? Like what do you look at to say, hey, this is going really well? Yeah, I think for us, we, we always like to measure returns versus exchanges. 
Um, we want to make sure that we're communicating well and we're getting you in the right shoe. I will say that with us making handmade leather shoes, the fit could be very different. Also, um, it's not very common. People are used to wearing Nikes. They're used to wearing Adidas, but leather shoes fit a little bit different. And so we like to be able to say, okay, they might not liked it at first, but let's get them in a different size or a different different color or a different um, style. That way they can still also be folding with their dollar that this is what they believe in. So for you, would you say like, if you were looking at return rate, like would an exchange be more important to you than a refund? Like if you were looking at all the returns that come in, like you're trying to get more exchanges? Oh, 100%. (laughs) A hundred percent. I think companies who do not offer exchanges and force you to do a return, that's just a poor experience. Because I go to your site, I purchased this and it's like, this might not be the size color that I wanted, but I'm still, I'm still in it. I'm still a, a fan of yours. Let's make this easy on me. Let's exchange it. And when you force me to return it and buy it again, it's not making it easy on me. And so we, we try to, we definitely monitor our, our exchange rate. And then we use that data to figure out what tweaks and, and pivots we can make within our operation to get them in the right shoe the first time without having that exchange. So with everything you're looking at there, like it's clear that returns play a big part in creating the customer experience that Nisolo is trying to create. Do you have an example of like how you are using returns to create that customer experience? Yeah, we want to make sure that again, customers are happy with their return with their product, whether it's the first product they get or or the second. And so with our policy, we have free exchanges. So if it's not right on the first time, we don't make it difficult for you. And we also make sure that we're able to send it out to you prior to you sending it into us. And so if you've ever had an exchange and you're waiting on it to make it back, and then finally it makes it back to them and then they send it out, that's just not a, a, a great process. And so we try to speed up that process to get you in the right shoe. Waiting is definitely the worst part of any return or exchange. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we couldn't agree more with everything you're saying there. And like we, we constantly preach that returns are all about giving yourself a second chance to make a good first impression. And, you know, you talked about the fact earlier that, you know, just because someone didn't get the right product the first time doesn't mean that the whole experience has to be a failure. Um, And I know Alex has talked about this before in some past blog posts and podcasts of, you know, first, you know, the reason they bought from you is because, you know, they like the brand, but they might not like the product. So giving them the ability to make an exchange gives them the ability to find the perfect product and they don't have to kind of end the relationship with you and the brand. But so often we see folks and, and it's mostly because, you know, they're, they're doing returns manually. Um, they're optimizing for a refund and, you know, they, because they don't give customers another option and because they don't have the data, they don't even know how many exchanges they're leaving on the table. There might be plenty of customers who, um, you know, loved, love the brand, but just got the wrong size product. And there's no easy way for them to, to make an exchange. So it sounds like Nisolo is, is kind of following all the things that we believe in. Uh, and, and it all comes down to customer experience. I, I agree. I think that 
a lot of brands put so much effort into the the sale and then they forget that there's another transaction that could be a return. It could be how we interact during the fulfillment process and we don't do it well. And that's where you lose customers. It's it's kind of like giving them a spa on the front end and then telling them just like to figure it out on their own on the back end. Right. We we talk we talk so much about like and we we strongly believe that this is the direction that ecom is going. But you know, if we, so much money, time, and resources spent resources are spent on optimizing the front end and optimizing acquisition, but so little time is spent on optimizing everything post purchase. And it would be like what some brands are doing now. It would be as if on the front end you were asking somebody to email you to place an order. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I mean, what you guys are doing so well and why we wanted to have you on the show is, you know, you, you think about the whole thing as one experience acquisition is half of it. Post-purchase is the other half, um, in the, in, you know, in past days, acquisition was probably more important because e-commerce was the new frontier. And that was, that was something that had not yet been commoditized, but everyone can run the same acquisition playbook now. Oh yeah. Brands are going to keep coming back to folks like solo who who invest heavily on the post-purchase side no you're you're right i mean there's there's so many tools and there's so many resources to you can compete on the front end with all the big players i mean your website could look like and interact just like the amazons and the walmarts of the world but how you execute could be totally different and having um, partners like Loop allow us to to execute at that higher level and curate a customer experience that, I mean, truly, I mean, the customers deserve. You shouldn't be making it difficult for them. Could not agree more. We wanted to ask you one last question uh, before we wrapped. Um, are there other brands that you have a ton of respect for uh, are in the customer experience space? So you know, folks who handle customer experience through operational excellence, like who do you, who do you look to as sort of like a mentor or a gold standard for that? Zappos definitely stands out. Um, yeah. um, Southwest airlines is always the top of it. I just love how they, both of those brands, they know what they stand for and they won't, <laughs> won't do anything other than that. And then another one that we actually partner with, uh, Sunski, um, is uh, a member of our ethical marketplace. Um, they're just really doing some some cool things with technology, um, and the way that you're able to try on, like virtually try on their their sunglasses yeah. um, from home. I think that's going to be an area where we're all trying to figure out um, how do we how do we bring the store to the customer? And I think they're really making a great customer experience. Yeah. The whole story about the Zappos founder and CEO passing away this yeah. week was obviously very tragic, but I was going back and reading some of the stuff that he pioneered that nowadays it's, you know, it's not as novel because like everyone understands now that customer experience is so important, but his whole, you know, thesis, you know, 10, 15 years ago, whatever it ended up, whatever it was, um, of, you know, we're not a shoe company. We're a customer, we're a customer, we're a customer. I forget exactly what I said, but it's like a customer experience company that sells shoes. And like that being so core to their ethos and their mandate for why they existed is, is the, I mean, they'll, they'll probably always be the gold standard for that. 
Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad you glad you brought them up because that's who I think of uh, when I when I think of that same question. My favorite story is he was sharing it at a conference and trying to prove to um, some other uh, executives that he they really lived that and. It was like 11 o'clock at night and he called their customer service asking if they would order a pizza for them <laughs> and they did it. And he was like, yeah, that's that's how we prove that we're customer service. Whatever problem you have, we will try to solve. Well, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to hold your feet to the fire. And I'm going <laughs> to randomly call you on a weekend to order me a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to call the new solo team and order a pizza. Yeah. yeah. My team's going to hate me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think like. One, this has been a fantastic uh, episode, Omar. You've shared so much. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do my best to summarize what we talked about here. And I think the biggest takeaway is that customer experience isn't something that just lives on the front end. It's not an acquisition website thing. It extends all through the operations side, even through the return process. And a couple of things you talked about, the train versus the roller coaster analogy and creating the entire experience. I love that. Other thing, one big takeaway for me is the weekly tactical meetings. I think there's a lot of great insight there on how to shape the customer experience through all the different verticals. And I love how you're approaching the return side of things. Return doesn't equal a refund. An exchange is an extension of the customer experience. It's not really about what people buy. It's what they choose to keep. So getting people into an exchange is a really important piece of that as well. So before we let you go, um, wanted to ask you one thing is if people want to keep tabs on what you're up to, is there anywhere where they could do that? Can they follow you on LinkedIn, Twitter? Where, are they, where can they interact with you? Definitely on LinkedIn. Um, that's where I do most of my posting. So, all right. So we'll put, we'll put Amari's LinkedIn, uh, in the show notes so that you guys can, uh, chat with him. And until next time, that's been the exchange. That's been the exchange presented by Luke, the returns platform for Shopify. Thanks for listening.